So it was touch and go, obviously, they're right off the bat. They struggle making payroll every week. Our fiscal year ends October 31. So that first fiscal year was interesting. They met with our CPA, who was our longtime CPA, and he sat my father and Chuck down, and he said, well, I've got some good news and some bad news to tell you on your first year of operation. And they looked at each other and said, what's the bad news? You're broke. Well, that's the bad news. What's the good news? The good news is you're too dumb to know it. (laughs) (laughs) That, That was the only year, I think, that we didn't make money. And from that point forward, we've been profitable ever since. Welcome to Breaking Down Boxes. I'm Gene Marino with Acres Packaging. And I'm Joe Morelli with Houston Patterson and Lewisburg Printing Company. We have compelling conversations with successful entrepreneurs in the packaging space. I want to thank Oxbox for sponsoring this episode. It always surprises me that the question, what do we do better than anyone else, doesn't get more attention. Or maybe a better question is, what do our customers think we do better than anyone else? While it's not sexy, the answer for Oxbox is jumbo and heavy-duty box manufacturing. With unmatched state-of-the-art heavy-duty converting and finishing equipment, Oxbox is truly best-in-class when it comes to heavy-duty and jumbo box manufacturing. Check them out at www.oxbox.com. Oxbox is strength you can depend on. Welcome Kevin Osborne and Matt Osborne. (laughs) Father-son duo from SMC Packaging Group, two genuine, wonderful box makers. Give us a, a little commercial about the company be glad to. Appreciate you guys having us in today. Based in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, that's where our corrugator is, where our mothership is, if you will. Uh, we've ex- over the years expanded into Kansas City with a sheet plant. We've got a sheet plant down in Conway, Arkansas, which is just outside of Little Rock, and then a sales and distribution office in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So our footprint is pretty much Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and then we bleed into some of the surrounding states of Louisiana, Illinois, Iowa, but that's that's our footprint right there in the heart of the country. It's a little less than 600 employees total organization-wide. We are an employee-owned organization, which we really like to tout because we think it helps run our business. Uh, we share in the success of the organization with our employee owners. Uh, the ESOP owns about 25% of the company, so all of our employees participate in the success of the company and are vital to the success of the organization. We have quarterly meetings with the employees. Uh, We refer to them as shareholder meetings and share virtually everything with them from top line to bottom line, a lot of that in between. Um, We talk about uh, the goals for the future. We talk about growth opportunities. We talk about expenditures, benefit plans, uh, answer a lot of questions. We just went through the latest cycle of this within the last three weeks where we did eight one-hour sessions in Springfield, and I went to Kansas City, and we did two one-hour sessions up there, and then one one-hour session in Conway, Arkansas. So after a while, I was just... Yeah. But I think our employees really appreciate the fact that we share that kind of detail with them. And and it really hit home with me when we went through the 2008-2009 recession. We'd been doing this a long time before that. Our employees saw that cycle coming because we were sharing with them what was going on and how it was impacting our business. And we had to make tough decisions during that period, just like all other organizations. And our employees accepted it remarkably well because they were part of it on the front end. And then they saw how we came out on the back end and how they participated in the growth that we experienced since then. So I think that having those 50 to 575 owners out there on the floor every day makes a difference in how we operate as an organization. And that was a philosophy that 
my father, Ross, and Chuck. Chuck Backus? Yep, that's right. Really wanted to instill in all of us. When we we, our, we started our ESOP in 1979, I believe. That's interesting. So very early on yeah. in the business. Yeah. yeah. I would assume that having that employee-owner relationship and having it be that that deep into the fabric of the company. That's just the way you've been raised, so to speak, through the business. So yeah. I, I think it sheds more light on your thoughts on that. Yeah. We encourage everybody to ask questions. We want them to understand how the business is doing. And the only thing that we ask them is that they please keep the information that we share with them within the four walls. We just want the want our family of employees to know what's going on. We just we don't want our competition to know what's going on. But let's keep our playbook in-house and Right. Not to not give them any more advantages than they've already got out there in the marketplace. But as far as I know, we've not been burned by anything really getting outside the organization. Yeah. You take us back to 72. That's when you first ran, mm-hmm. I think, your first box. Yeah. Live order, April 1st. Yeah. April uh, Fool's Day. April Fool's Day of 1972, <laughs> you run your first box. Yeah. You weren't in the business at the time or you no. were in the business? So you could say I was. I, I started out as the janitor, so I guess I was in the business. <laughs> I guess that counts. And, I'd go out in the evenings and clean the bathrooms and clean the offices. And I still remember vividly those early years going into my dad's office and Chuck's office. They shared a space with one of those accordion doors that opened up in between. Their desks faced each other. They'd sit there and look at each other throughout the day. And at that time, they were both pretty heavy smokers, as a lot of people were in the early 70s. And I can still remember going to my dad's desk and he'd have these wooden ashtrays with the glass bowl in it. And the cigarette butts would just be mounded up on top. And I'd empty that out and clean it out. And I'd go to Chuck's desk and it'd be the same way, mounded up the top and I'd empty it out. I'd come back a day later and it was again like that. And I was just like, they're smoking that many cigarettes. It must be tense to be in the box business. You can cut the air with a knife, I bet. (laughs) For some context, what was the business like in those first few years? Talk numbers. I, yeah. just, I don't picture a luxurious environment. Yeah. You know, like just a startup <laughs> yeah. box plant in the 70s. Yeah, it, it was. Give us an idea of what, what we're looking at. It was. We started, the, the company started with uh, a handful of customers. Chuck was the consummate salesperson. He could sell anybody anything. And we had a good group of loyal customers that took a chance on us when we started the business. Small building, 40,000, no, not even that, probably a 25,000 square foot building with a bunch of used equipment had about a dozen employees that came over from previous business with Ross and Chuck and started making boxes. They'd go out and sell during the day and then come back in the night and run the presses and run the slitters and try to get the orders processed. And so it was, and it was touch and go, obviously, they're right off the bat. They struggle making payroll every week. Our fiscal year ends October 31. So that first fiscal year was interesting. They met with our CPA, who was our longtime CPA for many years. And he sat my father down and Chuck down. And he said, I've got some good news and some bad news to tell you on your first year of operation. And they looked at each other and said, what's the bad news? You're broke. <laughs> well, that's the bad news. What's the good news? The good news is you're too dumb to know it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the only year, I think, that they didn't, we didn't make money. And from that point forward, we've been profitable ever since. Was your dad a uh, sales focused person too. So the two of them were out selling? He started out in sales with the Horner organization. Yeah. And that's where Chuck started as well, both uh, based out of Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And they were both in sales. And uh, Chuck ended up getting transferred to Springfield ultimately as the sales manager of the Horner plant. My dad got transferred to Springfield as the general manager of the Horner plant. So it was a sheet plant. When they both came to Springfield in the early 1960s, I think 60s, 
1953, give or take, don't uh, hold me to the year, but they grew the sheet plant into a corrugator, and then in 1972 decided that it was time for them to do something on their own. And they both made that decision independently. They hadn't really been talking to each other about it. And uh, Chuck came into my dad's office one day and said, I need to start a sheet plant. And then my dad pulls out a sheet of paper from his desk drawer and stacks it on the top of the desk and said, here's the business plan to do it. That's they got crazy. together and started Southern Missouri Containers. How old were you? I was, I guess I was 15. I turned 16. I think that was in 1972. My dad was also thinking that College is coming up pretty quick. Yeah. And he said if he does it, he needs to do it now before we get into college. And Stressful so. times around the house? Not, a yeah, a little like bit, but it... I never really sensed that yeah. as a kid growing up. They really enjoyed what they did. Other than that first year, they were extremely successful growing the business. They were able to attract a lot of good people initially to get the business off the ground and running. And from my perspective, it seemed like life was good. I didn't ever sense that he was really tense about things, but... He could hide that pretty well, too. When you were emptying the ashtrays and sweeping the floors and cleaning the bathrooms at that age, where did you have these grand visions of joining your dad in the, that no, luxurious I never gave space? it a thought. <laughs> <laughs> never gave it a thought. <laughs> and that's funny because we never talked about my coming back into the business. Just yeah. like Matt and I never really talked yeah. about him getting involved in the, in the business. I ended up uh, going off to college and ended up getting my master's while I was there because I'd been enjoyed not working and enjoyed yes. staying in school. Yeah. I stretched it out Smart as long man. as I could. <laughs> and then ended up, I was a CPA in Kansas City for a number of years after getting out of school and found that I really enjoyed what the clients were doing that I was working on, what their business issues were, decisions they had to make. And I really enjoyed talking to them about their challenges. And th those conversations would bleed over with my father about what was going on in Springfield with the business and company was growing to the point where they needed somebody with a little bit more financial heft to help. Uh, we just had a bookkeeper at that point in time. And uh, so one thing led to another, and Lynn and I were interested in starting a family, and we decided Springfield would be a good place to do it. So how old are you when that's going on, how, and how many years were you in public accounting? I was in public accounting for about two and a half, three years, yeah. so not very long. Your mid-20s? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sounds I think you're picking up on a I know, I, here. I, I think it's some familiar. strange <laughs> parallels yeah. here. Well, you we're can, getting to you. Yeah, 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 yeah you're not on the hot seat Yeah, you can yet. say history repeats itself yeah. in many respects. Yeah, absolutely. So one question, how many siblings in your family and where are you in the order? Okay, I've got a sister. Yeah. And my sister, Kristen, and she's 15 months younger than me. Okay. Yeah. Just the two of you. Yeah. And she's not involved in business. She was early on. Yes. And then she started a family and then she removed herself from the business. So she's not involved day to day. When, so what years, I got to say what, this is late 70s, mm -hmm. you, maybe early 80s, you come back in now and, yeah. and you're going to be controller, yeah. CFO, controller. what is your debt? Yeah. yeah, 1982 was when I came okay. back into the business. And now you're working with your dad, yeah. for your dad, yeah. and you've seen, coming out of the public accounting space, mm -hmm. you've seen a lot. Yeah. And now you want to come in here and start doing things. How receptive is he and Chuck to your... I think they they were very receptive. My challenge at the time was the uh, the bookkeeper that they brought over with them, and she was actually she was Ross and Chuck's kind of personal assistant. Yeah, started worked for them for years at the Horner organization. She was a shareholder in the company. They gave, they let her buy some shares and vested in her a lot of responsibilities. And she was she was a tough one to win over, and yeah. so that really tested my patience for. A number of years, and then finally got over that hump, and Wilma Grant was her name, 
bless her heart, and God rest her soul. She was a very loyal, dedicated employee and would do anything for my father or Chuck. But she just including some... eating their young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's well. She's she's that classic example of an employee that gets promoted beyond their capabilities, and she'd got in over her head, and she couldn't bring herself to tell my father and Chuck that she didn't know what was going on. And so I get in and find out that we hadn't been making Missouri withholding deposits for ten months. Yeah, and we, we hadn't been making the uh, health insurance premium payments for a year, and. It's just, oh my gosh. So I, I had a lot of cleaning up to do to make no sure. No wonder we're making so much money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what what about the other employees? We've talked to a lot of people that longtime employees are there. They see the second generation as a kid growing up in the business, roller skating around the, yeah. the plant, yeah. the punk kit. Yeah. And then a couple of years later, they get back into the business and they're in a position that ultimately is a succession plan. What about mm-hmm. how, how long did it take for other employees to? get that trust from you or how long did it take you to earn their trust? You're assuming that I have. I'm still working at it. <laughs> it was difficult and it was, a, it was more, much more so than I would have ever yeah. thought Yeah. because all of a sudden they were looking at me differently than they did when I was just hanging around the plant, working in the plant in the summers or yeah. something, going yeah. back to college. So it took, it took a number of years and I, it, it really hit home with me when I was added to the signature card at the bank for mm-hmm. payroll yeah. checks, accounts payable checks. And so I'm signing some checks. And we had a couple of those original employees, a couple sales reps, very successful. But boy, it got their ire that I signed their paycheck. And that was a, kind of a big moment in that transition period right there. They got over it. They realized that I have a strong work ethic. And so I earned my spot in the organization by seeing how hard I worked and what I did to contribute to the organization. And great. I think they understood that their lives were more secure. Maybe that next generation had shown interest in the business and was willing to get involved yes. and it was going to continue on. It's funny to me how that, it, it still goes on to this day. I got brought on by so-and-so. So mm-hmm. you know, I want you to know that I report so-and-so. And it's like, all right, take it easy. Mm-hmm. Just all... <laughs> Getting in our lanes and trying to figure things out, but how quickly you get put on notice. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you, yeah, once they see your authenticity, they pull off the gas a little when it comes to the respect of who's doing what and who's going to tell yeah. them to do what. Yeah, and we, we've all seen organizations where the next generation or what, whichever generation comes in and is just there to collect a paycheck yeah. and uh, ride it out. And that doesn't fly in our organizations. Yeah. In those early years, were there ever any moments of doubt that you made the right oh, yeah. move? Yeah. You're starting a young family at that time, right? Yeah. Or you're yeah. Young kid. Oh, God, what did I get myself in? Yeah, there was, to be honest with you, with, with the bookkeeper, there was a point in time after about eight or nine years of trying to win her over, I was just, I, she, I think she's going to outlast me. <laughs> I didn't know if I was going <laughs> to make it or not. Yeah. And uh, finally got over that hump. And there, there were always points throughout there that you step back and question. You see what some of your other friends that you went to school with and where they're at and what they're doing. Did I make the right decision? And and in retrospect, I wouldn't change a thing. The opportunity to work with my father. Yeah. Priceless. Was, yeah. Well, it was Priceless. something that, that um, I never could have imagined would mean that much. Yeah, that's incredible. It's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's uh, great. How, how, Way to go, Joe. Yeah, sorry. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> my eyeballs are sweating. That's <laughs> yeah, incredible. I'm walking through that timeline and let's say maybe it's 90, 91. 
Are you starting to take on more responsibility in the organization? Are they, you had talked about adding to the signature cards and obviously the heft that goes with stuff like that, but are you increasingly in, in more complex meetings? I'm guessing, so 73, you were 15, so 83, you're about 25, mm -hmm. 26 years old. Mm -hmm. and, and uh -huh. are, are you, now you're in supplier meetings and you're looking at capital acquisition plans and, and that's got to be exciting. Yeah. How much are they pulling you into that sort of thing? Yeah, I was intimately involved. Even in 1980, just the year that I came back into the business, yeah. shortly thereafter, we decided to buy a corrugator. Okay. Our first corrugator. Big move for us as an organization. And we'd found a corrugator in Fort Dodge, Iowa, that was a decommissioned machine that was just parts and pieces. And, you know, it was a pretty old machine, but it looked like it was going to work for us. And we put together a business plan to go to the bank to get the money. And uh, Herb, our CPA that I was telling you about earlier, went down with us. It was my father and, and uh, Chuck and Herb. And we sat in the, a room similar to this with a banker that we'd been doing business with for a long time. And uh, he turned us down. And we were just floored that he would turn us down. And so we ended up walking across the street to the next bank. And they welcomed us with opened arms. And we've been doing business with the that bank or its successors over time since that point in That's time. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's 82, so I think rates are pretty aggressive. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So not only were you buying the machine, but you're yeah. probably buying two machines <laughs> for the price of that machine. Exactly. Right around that time, so not too long after that, then you guys get into the business of acquisition yeah. and made your first acquisition. Is yeah. that right? In 84? 84. Yeah. 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 And that one just, we weren't really out actively looking to make an acquisition. That was when Georgia Pacific bought St. Regis, and we were buying paper from both Georgia Pacific and St. Regis at that time, and had some relationships, and the Kansas City sheet plant really didn't fit into GP's plans because it was just a small operation. So they contacted us to see if we'd be interested. We knew the people, knew the operation, and they made us an offer that we couldn't refuse kind of thing, and lo and behold, now we've got a sheet plant in Kansas City. And it's worked out very well for us over the years. It was a little different at the time. They had a union in there, and we're a non-union operation, being an ESOP and everything. And so it, it took us a while to win them over. But after about four years of getting to know us and how we do business and what kind of people we are, they decertified the union. And then we brought them into the ESOP and been a really good experience for us. We learned from them. They were more of a production-oriented operation. And we've always been sales oriented. We'll sell it and then we'll figure out how to produce it yeah. kind of thing. And so we learned a lot from them and we taught them that they needed to be more focused on the marketplace because they were so focused internally that they were missing out opportunities and trying to compete on things that they shouldn't be competing on. So it was a good marriage for both organizations. When you bought it in 84, the individual that was running that plant, did you retain that individual or did mm -hmm. you have to put somebody over there mm -hmm. from your no, business? No, we did. Yeah. And Bob Bowl was our general manager at the time, and he remained our general manager up there until he retired. And, and Bob did a great job. And having that sheet plant then when he retired gave us an opportunity to promote people in our organization into positions that they may have not gotten an opportunity to in a single plant operation. Yeah. And again, it's opened up avenues, and we've since been able to transfer several employees to Kansas City and give them more opportunities to grow and more responsibilities. It's just worked out really well for us. Had, had you been a part of an acquisition at that point in your career before? Mm -hmm. or how no. you, were you just learning on the fly? Yeah, just <laughs> learn, learning on the fly, yeah. 
One, one day we didn't have them, the next day we did. And I can still remember for that first, uh, I don't know, six months or so, I was running their business out of a checkbook. I was writing out all the checks and everything wow. and trying to, trying to figure out how we could integrate them into our billing system. And But it was, uh, yeah, but it was a good experience. Did, did we miss a step in there? Is there a transition any time between in the early 80s there before that acquisition where your role changed? I was no. still considered the, the controller. And okay. at, at some point, I don't even remember when it happened, I became the CFO and then ultimately the CEO. So, okay. Yeah. When, like where Joe's kind of leaving off. So mm -hmm. 84, you talked about um, Wilma still winning her over eight years later, mm -hmm. 90. Mm -hmm. How are Ross and Chuck still collaborating, working together? Was it always just a really positive relationship between the two of them? And what would you attribute as the business grew, as complexities grew, their ability to retain that? Yeah, it was very unique because personality-wise, they were different. Chuck was the really outgoing, gregarious. He'd walk into a room and all of a sudden he was the center of attention kind of a person, where my father was more, a little more reserved, but very much a leader style and so and chuck was in the army my dad was a marine so they had that little thing going with them and in high school they both actually grew up in the tulsa area chuck was in sand springs and my dad was in tulsa and they played football against each other across each other on the line hmm. so they had that going back they didn't know each other really that at that point in time but i would have never guessed that they'd be working partners for years and years and really as close as brothers hmm. and so it was really a kind of a unique marriage between the two of them because they were so different, but yet they were so alike and they had a lot of same business traits. Yeah. What uh, And Chuck had some sons that came into the business. Yep. That kind of crossover timeline, you're in in 82. Yeah, and uh, his oldest son, Rich, moved back in uh, later in 82, maybe six months after I did. Yeah. And uh, Rich has been primarily focused on sales. Yeah. During his, he started out in production migrated into sales, and Rich is our president currently. And then Rich's brother, Randy, is several years younger. I'm going to get the ages, age five years, six years younger. And then Randy came into the business a little bit later. And Randy's, he's a real high energy, type A personality involved in sales and oversee what we call our national account sales. It's just our large customer sales, yeah. really. Yeah. We don't do truly that much in the way of national accounts, but we He's really grown that segment of our business tremendously and does a great job. Was there a defined succession plan then when you guys were all coming back into the business? Were you guys being put into a path at that early stage or did you guys just naturally over yeah, time? Yeah, it just naturally happened. We all gravitated into our lanes. Mine was more financial, legal, administrative kind of strategic planning. Rich's was more production with sales background and then Randy's with sales. And so we've all kind of just operated that way. And it's, as you can imagine, in any family, and I view Rich and Randy as family, Yeah, you can have your little differences and squabbles, but we're able to work them out. And it's been a really great relationship. Cl clearly it's worked. Yeah. yeah. And there, and there's no guarantee just because my dad and Chuck had a great relationship yeah. that the next generation would have a great relationship. But we, it's worked out well. Was there any times, and, and certainly not to speak ill of the founder, but mm -hmm. were there any times where you three were like, these two don't, these, these two have lost touch. Like they don't know what's <laughs> going on out there anymore. They gave us a lot of runway. They over time, stepped away from the business and the day-to-day -day operations, but yet they still like to maintain their finger on the pulse. 
And so it would be a little frustrating at times. They would wander out into the plant and do that little management by walking around. And all they'd have to do is just make a little comment about something. And just, I can still remember this day, my dad walking up to the corrugator and he'd see our corrugator manager and he'd go, boy, I noticed trim was a little high yesterday. And it was just all of a sudden, everything was focused on getting that trim down when we'd been working for six months to get into a more productive mode of scheduling the corrugator. And yeah, we're going to take some trim, but it's in the grand scheme of things, it really, it pays off. To, and it was just funny because it would just set us back for six months. It was all done with the best <laughs> intentions, but it just really highlighted to us. We need to, even though Ross and Chuck aren't as involved and maybe don't see sit in on all the meetings and hear all the direction things are going, we need to schedule some time aside so that we can bring them up to date. So yeah. we started these monthly managers meetings to where they could come in and hear of all of our key employees, what's going on, and give them a feel for how the business was operating so that they would know, maybe wouldn't stop them from making some comments, but they might give them pause but, uh, rather than get involved in something that they shouldn't. Um, and, and I think it's helped, and we've continued that today. It started our more professional way of running the business. Yeah. What year did... Did the Ross and Chuck start backing away a little bit? Yeah. Really uh, backing away. They're getting away from the monthly managers' yeah. meetings, and, and they were like, you guys got this. Boy. I did really, they ever? Yeah. <laughs> my father more so than Chuck. Yeah. It was interesting in that regard. Uh, my dad, it was easier for him, I think, to step away from the business because he knew I was in there looking after things for my area of expertise. And he was the type that he worked to live Whereas I live to work. Yeah. And it's just kind of a different, and I don't know if I'm a throwback to my grandfather, my mom's father. He came over to the U.S. from Sweden, so he was an immigrant back in the teens, and started a business in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a, a woodworking shop, and grew it, and very successful. He retired, and then after he retired, it's almost like he stopped living because his focus in life went away. And as a little kid, I remember seeing that, and I thought to myself, boy, I don't want that to happen to me. So I probably have gone overboard in the other direction of being a workaholic, and he'll admit this <laughs> when you get a chance to talk to him. That's probably one of the things that I struggle with the most is delegation. I have a tendency to hang on to stuff too long. So when, when my dad transitioned out of the business, it was just a natural for me to grab it and, and take it over. And I probably noticed when he was stepping away, when my he and my mom would go to Hawaii for three months during the winter. Nice. Was, okay. Which is great. They did that for 25 years. That's, yeah. It's cool. He was still in touch. And, and I, my, my wife says this a lot about her dad. He, yeah. he was able to give her some freedom to run the business, but yet he was close enough to the mm -hmm. situation where if she ever got in trouble, mm -hmm. he was there to really help. Yeah. It seems like that might've been the case there with yeah. as well. Yeah. What was, and, and we introduced Matt, but your young child at this time, I imagine, when this was going on, or mid-80s? mid, mid Yes, yeah, sure, sure. Again, thanks for having us. I'm thrilled to be on the podcast, and you're probably going to hear that history kind of repeats itself in some respects. For myself, growing up in the business, sure, it was the occasional table talk, talking about equipment or new projects, um, but never really felt the pressure to get involved in the business in a formal capacity. Some of my first times on the payroll with uh, Southern Missouri Containers were in, it was probably that early, mid-2000s, home over summer. You're back from college and you're looking for a little spending money, so you've got the chance to assist on some of those utility roles, pre-press, helping get into and organize, things of that nature, just a fill-in or jack-of-all-trades. And it was a good way to get some ground-level buy-in. A lot of those folks going back 
almost, gosh, it's been 20 years by now. Many of those folks are still employed with SMC, and I still have fond memories of spending time on the floor. And fast forward to where I am today, it, 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 it's great to have that experience that you can relate back to, and it gives you a sense of appreciation for decisions you may, you may be making up here, how they relate to the front line, if you will. When you were young, like real young, were you spending time following dad and playing <laughs> on the weekends? And what do you remember from when you were a boy? Yeah, sh- sure. That's a great question. So with the tremendous hours that Kevin was working that he alluded to, a, a lot of times my mom was ready for a break. So I think it was, guys, you're going with dad to the office on Saturday. <laughs> so, uh, just just give me a four hour break so I can get some stuff done around the house. But anyways, my, my sister Melissa and I would frequently go out with Kevin on the weekends. And of course, it, it was always a, a joy to drive the golf cart and <laughs> j- j- jump from unity in it. And of course, we apologize to all of our customers that had little size two or three footprints on the units. But anyways, <laughs> and then also, I, I guess I could share this, but it was also fun to, we had the sales office, sales and operations were on a second level. So it was always fun to make corrugated sleds and, and always a good time to, to ride those down the stairs. I don't think that'd fly today, but no, again, that was a different great. time. Kevin, in, in those times when you're raising a family, business is growing, you're probably on to your second acquisition at this point in the late 80s stress? How did you handle your personal and professional life? Outdoors things, playing golf. Played Probably played more golf then than I do now, which is kind of mm. crazy. Um, but enjoy going to the lake, um, uh, get out in the woods, um, just out, anything outdoors, really. Were you able to unplug? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Great. And today, that's my escape. We've got a place down at the lake and it's only an hour away, but it may as well be 10 hours that's away great. because I feel like I'm I can just totally unplug from the business and don't take anything with me down there. And just it's to kind of hang out with our lake neighbors, and it's a good stress reliever. Yeah, Randy and Rich. Got Rich. Uh-huh. Uh, any kids in the business on their side? Uh, not at this point, other than we've got one that's getting ready to come on, and that's Randy's oldest daughter, Reagan, and uh, she's going to join our sales team in Kansas City in. Midsummer. That's very exciting. Yeah. And I do have my daughter that's involved too, Matt's sister. So Matt's Matt's in school accounting and you get your master's and, and you go to work in, guess what, public accounting. In, in Kansas City. In Kansas City. <laughs> Was it About the same building, shocker, same right? company? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so that goes back to 2008 and kind of like Kevin, I spent about three years in public accounting, had the chance to get exposure to some of our clients in manufacturing, retail, banking, insurance. It was a great foundation or a great starting point for my career, but one of the limitations or something that I felt like was holding me back was, sure, you go on site to your clients for two or three weeks a year. You never really get to see anything from concept to completion. You really just, you're just there intermittently throughout the year. I got my CPA license in the process, and Kevin and I never really talked about, hey, are you ready to come back to the business? It was more of an organic transition, if you will. For a kid coming out of college, you want to make it on your own. You want to go to a big marketplace. You don't want to go back to your, your hometown, if you will. So again, it was a great experience in public accounting, but at the time for our plant in Kansas City, we were getting ready to go online with the new plant scheduling system. And the, the timing was perfect to help help lead that effort and get that good foundation and operations, um, get exposure to customer service, some of the basic elements of design, pretty much anything, frankly, that didn't touch accounting that would be critical for for a sheet plant to be successful. Yeah. So again, it was a, a good starting point. And then 
after five years in Kansas City, the timing was right to allow for SMC's continued growth. Um, we, we had some needs in Springfield on, on the finance and accounting side, again, to Kevin alluded to get some stuff off of his plate and yeah. kind of help carrying the torch forward. That, that five years over there, I'm intrigued by that because your next generation, are they kind of letting you run wherever you want inside that business to just learn? Or is somebody formally saying, Matt, we want you to spend some time here, spend some time here, sure. or are you just all over the road? Perhaps in the early stages of when we were starting to have those conversations with the general manager of me coming on board, I think he saw the big picture, but I'm sure the initial reaction was, oh, you've got a spy in my facility that's always going to be reporting yeah, back uh-huh. to Springfield, which, or back to our home office. But that wasn't the case at all. I, I was there to learn and to assist wherever I could to get involved, be engaged. And it, it's some of the best training I ever could have had to be able to relate back to what our sheet plants deal with on a regular basis. And I'm fortunate to have that opportunity. I think our general manager at the time also realized that yeah, sure. Matt came in and kind of helped with our, our full plant scheduling system and that transition in the in the computer software. But he also realized Matt's capabilities and said, oh, "I'm going to put him to use here." And he it, it took some load off of him I and bet. and Absolutely. helped him. And so just kind of turned him loose. Yeah, I was really going to say I, it's not like he's coming right out of college. You've uh-huh. been in the workforce. You have had a, a chance to season a little bit. Yeah, the and the accounting side of it gives you the entire roadmap of the business, especially in public accounting, cradle to grave kind of uh-huh. thing. So now to see that and apply it in a business you have some general knowledge of definitely probably helped a tremendous amount. Yeah, well said. When, from your point of view, you said that the, you coming into the business was just organic. Had you thought as he was coming I, out of I college? I really or, hadn't because yeah. I didn't want to put any pressure on him because wanted, I wanted him to make his own decisions and go his own route. And if he decided to go this direction, I wanted to go a different And that was fine. And, and so, it was again, it was just an organic process that bubbled up and it worked. So If you don't mind, if, you don't mind yeah. if I could jump in and add on that. Thinking back to, to some of those early days when I was really given some thoughts of coming on board with SMC, we were in the phase of a multi-year corrugator expansion project. We'd had some new equipment that was hitting our floor, and that's what really got me excited about coming back in the business and, of course, having those conversations with our sales team, some of our leadership folks, customer service, production. The, the, the common question was, well, when are you going to come on board? And it was always a pretty pretty vague, nebulous response, something like, oh, maybe someday, or I'll definitely give it some thought. But I think what solidified my desire to come aboard with SMC was, again, having that affirmation that, that, that I'm being called back to the organization in a way, and also seeing seeing the path forward for our future with our, our equipment expansions. And it was a pretty pivotal moment in our career, going from a legacy corrugator to what we like to think is a modern corrugator. Granted, it's almost 20 years back since we've made some of these big capital investments in our corrugator, but again, it's a great spot to be in. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. That's neat. When, how far apart are you, the oldest child? Is Melissa younger than I, you, older? I'm, I'm ahead of Melissa by 15 months. 15 months. That's kind Was of interesting. You 15 months? months? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think maybe on. on. Yeah. Um, how far behind you is Melissa in getting into the business, or was she in front of you? I think Melissa may have beat me by a few months. She got involved with some of our graphic design efforts early on, and then she, she took a leave for a few years from the business to to move to New York City, and she wanted to give the big city lifestyle a go. Yeah. She did a fantastic job uh, freelancing up there. And then she, again, I think she found her calling to come back to Springfield to her hometown and to be a part of SMC, and she's doing a great job for us. That's neat. So so now we're moving. Matt comes back to corporate. So I think that's a little less organic, probably, and more 
hey, why don't you come and be another set of hands to carry some big buckets of water? <laughs> How easily is Kevin giving up stuff for you to take on. He's he's already copped he's already copped to his inability to delegate. How much do you how much do you guys start wrestling? Kevin is certainly a creature of habit, like he alluded to earlier on. He's very set in his ways. He's in the office at six forty five every day, reads the journal cover to cover before before diving into his routines and rituals. And we're definitely having those conversations about, hey, it's time for you to throttle things back a little bit and focus more on some personal pursuits. And we, we have that conversation often about how it's time. <laughs> We've bounced around a little bit, but some of these things are intriguing. So you said live to work. You enjoy what you do. Are you a self-admitted back in my day, or are you pretty open and flexible to new ways of doing things? What's your kind of take on those? Yeah, I think I'm not a person that says this is how we have always, we used to do it, so we're going to continue to do it kind of thing. I'm flexible in that regard. I'm also, I think I'm very flexible. If, if I know it's an area of expertise that I don't have the capabilities of, I'm very willing to let other people do that. I think you're having more fun today than you've ever had in the box business. So you've made that comment many times over yeah. the past few years with our yeah. some of our equipment additions and our building expansion and yeah. things along those lines. I think you're having more fun today than... It has. Yeah, it's been... It seems like we're kind of getting at the in the rewarding stage of the box business the last yeah. few years. I slogged away for 30 plus, 35 years, and then the last you know five or six or so have been, gosh, this is what it's all about when you get to this point to really reap the benefits and see the, the people in our organization reap the benefits as well. That's what's really exciting to see the, the talent that we've been able to develop and the, the young group that we have that's coming up that's going to be taking over the organization. That I find very fulfilling. You said something that intrigues me, though. You said you're willing to let go and stay out of the way of the stuff that you don't lean into. Mm-hmm. But you guys have very similar backgrounds mm-hmm. and upbringings. How willing are you to, to lay off the stuff that you really do enjoy doing? How yeah. has that been form, forming I, you some, some of the things that I used to really enjoy doing, I find that he has taken them over and he's doing them. And so it's been okay. That's great. Yeah. Can, can yeah. you touch upon your leadership style? And as you've grown over the years, you say you're almost 600 employees, mm-hmm. four locations. Mm-hmm. How have you managed mm-hmm. to really culturally integrate everybody? And, and it seems as if you guys have a great business model and, yeah. and your core values are right on your website. Yeah. How have you managed to create such a great environment? We give everybody a lot of space. We give them resources to be successful. We provide them guidance if they need it. We've stayed focused on some of our core principles, which is you got to make money in order to survive in our business. And so we've been very fortunate in that regard. We're very sales-oriented, very service-oriented. And we've got each of the four operating entities in our group set up as separate profit centers, separate entities. And so each of those organizations runs their own P&L, and they're very focused on that. And sometimes it can be a challenge when you're trying to get everybody to work for the, the better good of the whole organization when they're solely focused on their plant or their operation. Um, we, inside of Southern Missouri Containers, our Springfield operation, we treat our corrugator as a separate entity. So it's a separate profit center, uh, separate from the converting operation. And so we feel like we've, and we have sent people. We're really big on incentive compensation. Everybody in the organization is on some kind of a plan. And that's one of the, I guess, the hallmarks that we carried over from the old Horner organization. There aren't too many people 
probably around anymore that remember the Horner Box organization, but it created untold numbers of entrepreneurs who Ross and Chuck were uh, out of that mold. Our, our sales reps are 100% commission-based, and they do all their own pricing, and that always surprises people. And you tell that to other independents, that we've got some guardrails in place and some controls, and yeah. it motivates them to try and collect what they as much as they can, what the market will bear. And they're rewarded based on the profitability of the business they generate. So and that's, very and that's carried through the whole organization. Yeah. So, do you, and maybe we're not even there yet in, in just the development of where you guys are professionally, but do you have a, a formal succession plan or is it more really, again, organic? How do you guys think through stuff like that? Yeah. Nothing real formal. Again, trying to walk away, ease my way out of the business and then that process transfer more to Matt, more to other others in the organization. We've got, we're starting to, we're old enough as an organization, we're going through a round of, another round of retirements of our senior group. And that's always eye-opening when you, we've got an employee that's targeted July of this year. He's going to be a 50-year employee with us. It's incredible. And he, he might have retired several years ago, but he really wanted to get 50 years in with us. Yeah. Yeah. What I oftentimes would ask the second generation this question, but I'll ask you, mm-hmm. is there what have you learned from working with him? Have you picked? Have you changed as a leader? I have. Matt's got a much better work-life balance than I do, and so I've tried to learn from that. He's a very good about interacting with all of our employees on a very personal level, and they interact with him very well. He's very much a people person, always has been. I can remember when he was a, a little kid, we'd go out to... Uh, the restaurant, and he didn't meet a stranger. I mean, he was walking up, talking to everybody in the restaurant. Talk to the wall if exactly, they would talk back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but that's just been his nature. Not so much mine. I'm I'm a little bit more, uh, a little more introverted. And, and uh, but yeah, he's given me a, a greater appreciation for making sure you don't lose touch with what's going on with individual employees and their lives and their yeah. families and their kids, and really connecting and staying connected with our employees and the organization. What about you? What if, I imagine working with the old man, it's great. Mm. And you got to pick up some things from him on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it's it's incredibly re- rewarding. It's probably going to get to me like, <laughs> just <laughs> get give me a moment here. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably going to get to me here in a minute, kind of like Kevin touched on working for his father or my grandpa. But I'm forever grateful for the opportunity to work with my family, of course, but also my SMC family. And I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. That's awesome. What what do you feel like as you work your way across this organization? Are there areas that you would like to spend time in? Or do you feel like in order to really get your arms around it? Or, or do you feel that there's enough balance because Melissa's kind of on the media, marketing, sure. graphics. You've got the Bacchus group in sales. Probably the best way I could answer that. Again, it's all, it's all about balance. And um, I feel I feel like my strengths best lie more on the finance, accounting, legal, some call it the nuts and bolts of the operation. And then leaving the sales arm, we've got a, a great bench, phenomenal sales reps, but also sales leadership. And they do a dynamite job for us. And I'm happy to assist wherever my future may lie. But I, I feel like I, I'm i the nuts and bolts guy that, that's good at minding the, the details, the P's and Q's, asking the questions. I'm big on, on asking the why. I feel like I don't know, maybe I'm partial, but because I like to lean into the finance side too, but I think it really 
the numbers just speak to you and tell you a story that that probably develops a series of questions that I'm very comfortable in. But there's as much to be known about why something is more than it should be and why it's less. And you learn a lot from that sort of thing. And I think it just certainly helps your, when you can tie it together on the actual process of how the business is operating. Sure. It really well, tells a neat story. And Gina, I don't always bat a thousand whenever I'm trying to find where some of the skeletons are or where the bodies are buried, but I'm pretty good at finding some of the anomalies, asking the why, and just making sure it makes sense before I move on. That's great. Yeah, that's really good. Hey, we ask this question to pretty much everybody that comes on, Kevin, but if you look back on your career and your 25-year-old self, are there things you would have changed back then, done differently? Yeah, I've you know given that some thought since uh, you guys prompted us that you were going to ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> and there are. And the one that just immediately hits me, and it, it's probably a struggle in all family businesses that have grown over the years, is we get so attached to the people that sometimes we can't see that they are, the demands of the job have outgrown them, and we become hesitant to address that, and we just work around it and deal with it, and before you know it, you look up, and you've got a number of those situations. We've been blessed with really quality people over the years, and we've given them a lot of opportunities. Probably should have made some decisions sooner rather than later, rather than letting some of these just go their natural course to retirement and then replace them with somebody. And we've, we've allowed that process to occur a little too much. Maybe I've allowed that process to occur too much. We've got some uh, leaders in our organization right now that we should have put in place many years earlier to be able to get the full benefit of what they've been able to do. One of those is our Mark McNay, our general manager in Springfield. Mark's been with us a long time and probably should have found a way to get him into that role quicker because our growth and things that we're doing as an organization really took off when Mark took the helm of our plant in Springfield. Yeah. And I could say the same about some of our other general managers and yeah. other facilities and some of our other key people in the organization as well. Yeah, I know Mark does a lot with assisting AICC training, sales training, and I know he has a lot of expertise in kind of really understanding your customers' needs and your market offering and those types of things mm -hmm. that I think bring more than just the old days of glad handing and backslapping. And mm -hmm. I've seen some of his stuff. It's impressive. What's AICC meant to you and now the next generation? It's been a valuable resource to our organization. I think I mentioned the other day that you know, we celebrated our 50th anniversary last year, and I know the AICC is celebrating its 50th anniversary next year. And I think we joined the AICC in our second year of operation, I think. I think we've been a member for 48 years or so. And we joined early because we knew that we didn't have the resources of a small organization to be able to ask people questions and that just the relationships that, that you build and the knowledge and the understanding of the industry and those contacts are just invaluable. And I can't remember how many years ago it was now, but I attended an AICC event and we did a plant tour. And I had prior to that, I really hadn't had the opportunity to go through very many other box plants because you think a box plant is just your facility and you don't realize that, that things can be done differently. So I remember going through this plant tour and it wasn't my role to, to lay out our plant from a production flow standpoint, but I went through this tour and I saw what they had done. I was like, gosh, that makes just perfect sense. Whereas our facility at the time was all chopped up and we were fork trucking in between machines and doing all this stuff. And 
and came back and mentioned about the long finishing conveyor and tying all the equipment into it and how it just cut the flow is so much better. And, and we implemented that, and it was just like an aha moment. And that was something that I learned from an AICC event. And all those kind of things where you, you come to a meeting and ensure the programs that the AICC puts on are great. They get good speakers. They've got great topics. But almost as much as the hallway conversations you have with people and just things that they're doing and seeing. And I just had one just earlier today that I think we're going to take back and we're going to talk about it and put it into practice. And it, it's just learning from each other that AICC has really been a key element, I think, in our growth and development over the last 48 years that we've yeah. been a member. Yeah, we talk about this when you invest and engage AICC deliver success. I think the engagement that goes on here with just really curious entrepreneurs who are continuously learning, you, you walk away with nuggets in every interaction mm -hmm. through simple questions. Mm -hmm. And it really, it's a fascinating opportunity. I don't know if there's a lot of industries like that, but yeah. it works very well for our group. Yeah. yeah. What's next for uh, SMC, your growth? What, what do you have on the horizon? We've got, we did a big project in Springfield and right when COVID hit and did a major building expansion, brought in a bunch of equipment and with the plan of getting everything on one campus right now in Springfield, prior to that, I guess we were in five different buildings. Now with the main facility in Springfield, we're still in three. The goal would be to eventually get it all into one. And I'm not sure what that time frame is going to be. We get the plans drawn up to add on to the building uh, again and put a new corrugator in there, but we just haven't pulled the trigger on that yet. Just kind of see how things play out with the economy and got some more equipment coming in and some things we're looking at. You're not slowing down. No. <laughs> that's <laughs> busier than ever. <laughs> yeah. That's great. No. Good for you. One thing that stuck out to me was you say you have a bunch of good people, great people that have been there for a long time. I don't know if that's coincidence. Yeah, you know, just from hearing you talk <laughs> and your transparency with your employees, I just, it's, it's refreshing to hear. And I just, I want to make that point. I don't yeah. think it's coincidental. It's yeah. clearly something you've built within the four companies that you've got underneath yeah. you. And we've been very fortunate. We've been, I think we've been able to attract some people and challenge them and give them the opportunity to grow. And I know we've got a number of people that are, that have been more successful probably than they ever really thought they could have been just because they've associated with like-minded people all working towards the same goals and given the freedom and the discretion to succeed or fail. And for the most part, we've succeeded more than we've failed. I guess that's a good thing. Breaking down boxes. New shows will drop the first Monday of every month. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.